Hello and welcome to the North New South Wales Sabbath School Commentary. My name is Lawson Walters. I'm a Bible worker and radio host here in the North New South Wales Conference. I'm currently recording from the Faith FM, um, the Faith FM studios here. And we are going to be having a look at Lesson 11, Joseph, Master of Dreams in this quarter's Sabbath School on Genesis. As I said, I, am, I work here for the conference and it's awesome to be a part of the ministry of the Sabbath School, getting in and discussing and having a look at some of the things that the Bible points out in regards to, yeah, this amazing story of Joseph, at least this first half before the next half where we get into his kind of political career. But right now we're going to pick it up in chapter 37 and start reading from verse one. It says, now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. So now we see as Jacob has gone and had this big experience of traveling all over the place, being a big servant of his uncle Laban, receiving his four wives at that time, both Rachel, Leah, Zilpah, and Bilhah, doing some traveling, being a threat for his life by Esau, but then realizing that, uh, yeah, God was with him, being blessed, all these different things. Now, Jacob finally ends up back in the land of Canaan, the land of his fathers, where it says here that his father was a stranger in. And I believe it says this, even though both Abraham and Isaac spent time in Canaan. Yeah, they had no ownership towards the land there. In fact, at this time, it it details very clearly in the previous chapter, chapter 36, it talks about, you know, the Edomites and and who they were as this great ruling party. Um, And we know that they were all the sons. In fact, it says in the last verse of chapter 36 and verse 43, it says Esau was the father of the Edomites. So they all came from Esau. They were this great clan who, yeah, had power and rulership and all these different things. And Jacob is dwelling in their land in Canaan. And yeah, that's kind of political social dynamic that we see here. Now, Jacob, he's dwelling in the land of Canaan, and now it just jumps straight into the story of Joseph. It says here in verse 2, Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. Sorry, the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now, we know that Joseph is one of two sons of Rachel. Now, Rachel was the most loved and most desired wife by Jacob. And as a result, she found lots of favoritism, um, which was extended even more by giving one of her servants to Jacob as a wife as well. Now, Leah was the other sister, the sister of Rachel, who was less loved, but the only one that initially could bear children. And she would go on to have Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. And these are, yeah, there there actually is an argument to say that if Jacob had have just been faithful to Leah, the, there wouldn't be 12 tribes of Israel, but the six that we see here, the six sons, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, and Zebulun, sorry, the five sons, I should say, there would have just been five sons, five tribes, and yeah, it would have gone well for them. But as a result of this terrible family dynamic, there are 12 sons, and it, it's interesting because these five sons of, of Leah, they end up comprising and particularly Judah would be the one in which the Messiah would come through the future of Israel. Even though Judah, we can see in in a fair few different stories, acts really terribly. But anyways, 
So at this point, there are these five sons to Leah, and then there are two sons to Bilhar, their names are Dan and Naphtali, and two sons to Zilpah, Gad and Asher, along with Benjamin and Benjamin and Joseph, the sons of Rachel. Now it says here that he's spending time with the sons in the flocks, with the sons of Bilhar and the sons of Zilpah, and that's the people who he gives. It's, it's those sons, Dan, Asher, Gad, sorry, yeah, Dan, Asher, Gad, and Naphtali. They're the ones that he gives a, a bad report of to his father, Jacob. Now, this would have already been a pretty difficult uh, situation because of the fact that not only was Jacob more loved than every other son, including the sons of Leah, but these sons are the sons of the servants. So they're not like, you know, second class sons. They're almost like third class son. If you got the first class being Joseph and later Benjamin, the second class being the sons of Leah, these guys are like the third tier citizens, the third tier sons. And they are in, they're being just like ratted out and snitched on by the younger son who is already favored, we see. As we continue to read on, it says, now Israel loved Jace, Joseph, sorry, Jacob loved Joseph more than all of his other children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors so we can see clear favoritism coming out here as a result of Joseph being, again, a son of his old age, but also one of the only sons of Rachel, the wife that Jacob only truly loved. And it's a really sad and unfortunate and terrible dynamic that they have here in the family. But yeah, Joseph's ratting out the third tier sons and they would be understandably upset, especially as they already see that Joseph receives more love than them. But then Joseph receives a dream and it says in verse six, please hear this dream, which I have dreamed. There we were binding the sheaves in the field and then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed your sheaf stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brother said to him, shall we, you indeed reign over us or shall you have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to the brothers and said, look, I have had another dream. And this time the sun, the moon and the 11 stars bowed down to me. So he told this to his father and, he, and his brothers and his father rebuked him and said, what is this that you've dreamed uh, that you've dreamed? Shall your mother and I bow down and your brothers also indeed come and bow down to, to the earth before you? And his brothers kept kept on envying him. But his father kept the matter in mind. So we see here, he comes and tells them the dreams. The brothers are understandably envious. And in fact, we see very much that these dreams are in symbols. And when we see the sun and the moon bowing down to Joseph, we see here that this indication that not only would it be the brothers, but also Jacob himself and the, the wife being represented by the moon here. And probably Rachel, his mother. Now, this is like a, yeah, really heavy situation. Uh, he's basically describing the fact that he will rule over all of them and they are not super stoked. And Jacob rebukes Joseph for this. Uh, and he says, yeah, as if this will come to pass. But he says, he the Bible says he kept, keeps the matter in mind. So essentially, as the Sabbath school points out, there is some, this deep down, this invocation of feeling within Jacob that, oh man, maybe this guy's telling the truth. This, they probably had some familiarity with prophetic dreams at this point already, definitely with their grandfather, Abraham. But yeah, it's like, oh man, this could be legit. Now, 
ultimately we see then the story progress on um joseph's brothers go to shechem joseph like yeah where's my he, he asked a stranger where his brothers is because he's directed by jacob joseph is directed by jacob to go and find out what they're doing and he's told hey they're in shechem and so he starts to make his way there but then we get to verse 18 it says now when they saw him afar off even before he came near to them they conspired against him to kill him then they said to one another look this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. And we shall say some wild beast has devoured him and we shall see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard it and he delivered him out of their hands and said, hey, let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him that he might be delivered out of their hands, but that he might he may deliver them out of their hands and bring him back to the father. So Reuben comes up with a plan to actually save Joseph. Now we know that Reuben is one of the sons of Leah. He is the oldest of all the sons. And by this time, something to point out is Joseph is the youngest and he's 17. All of his brothers at this point we're talking about adults we're talking about guys in their 20s and and 30s these are all adult men yet yeah, it's just a really awful situation that we see taking place here that they're just so overcome with envy and grief against joseph that they're going to kill him but reuben as the oldest and we could probably assume 20s 30s something like this reuben as the oldest is like hey not we we're not going to do this we are this isn't going to to take place and as a result sets up a situation in which he can make sure that Joseph stays alive so that he can deliver Joseph back to his father and that he can stay safe. But now Judah actually speaks up and Judah is just the worst of the, of the sons of Leah. And we're going to be highlighting a bit more of his story as we look in the next chapter as well. But Judah speaks up. They see the Ishmaelites afar off, the clan of, uh, yeah, the other son of Abraham. They see that they're rich and increased with goods. And then they see some Midianites and he's like, hey, why don't we get rich from this? What are we doing just hurting this guy and uh, leaving him in a pit? Why don't we make some money? And he decides uh, and leads the brothers to sell the to sell Joseph to the Midianite traders. Yeah, they use the Midianites to be able to sell him um, to the Ishmaelites to for 20 shekels of silver. And I think the big question that comes out of this is is like, wow, just can you even believe how far this hatred and grief and envy could go to the point where they sell him? Now, they don't end up killing him, but they sell him into slavery. And as a result, obviously, Reuben is not here when this is going down because Reuben comes back to get Joseph. But Reuben sees that Joseph wasn't in the pit, but sold into slavery. And as a result, he tears his clothes and is super upset and so then they come up with a ruse to trick their brother uh, sorry their father jacob they dip his coat in blood they bring it back to jacob they say hey we found his coat and jacob himself goes into a deep state of mourning and great trouble as a result of this now we get down to verse 36 and it says the midianites had sold him to egypt in egypt to potiphar an officer of pharaoh and a captain of the guard 
And so this would be the beginnings for Joseph here and his life in Egypt as a, yeah, he would start as a slave. He'd work his way up. He would then become a prisoner. And we, we might get to that a little bit later. Furthermore, he would tell the butcher, the no, sorry, not the butcher, but the, the baker and the cupbearer, their dreams and work his way up all the way into the kingship, which will be covered in the next Sabbath school. But I wanted to talk about chapter tw- chapter 38. Chapter 38, the story of Judah and Tamar, which could be, it could be summarized in two different words. I have a New King James Bible. The New King James Bibles have little, you know, subheadings when the story changes over and story beats change and it turns a bit of a corner in the narrative. But 38 is just titled Judah and Tamar. But if I was to come up with a, a New King James-esque title describing the events that happened here, or maybe not New King James-esque, but just just a way to describe what happens between Judah and Tamar, I, I would make the title The Ultimate Warning Against Sexual Misconduct and against going against your words and promises. Like, this is a warning to everyone. You know, maybe another title could be Your Sins Will Find You Out. Like, Seriously, this is like so embarrassing, such a terrible story, such a terrible way for someone to be treated as well in the result of Tamar. But also, yeah, it's just this story is embroiled in sin, in deception, but ultimately comes out to work in God's favor as Tamar becomes the the bearer of Perez, the son of Judah. And as a result, that would be the line in which Jesus would come through. But we start here with this story of Judah and Tamar basically getting this idea that Judah has a Canaanite wife. Her name is Shua. He married her and then he conceives three sons and she gives birth to see three sons through her, Onan and Shelah. And it says, then Judah took a wife for Ur, the firstborn, and her name was Tamar. So Judah brings in a wife for Ur, and her name is Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord killed him. So this guy is not acting in the best interest of God's plans for the future. And it just says here wickedness. And so we need to surmise, you know, how is it that he is acting wickedly? And we've seen in previous stories, the kind of wickedness that was described in this way, whether it was sodomy, rape, all kinds of just terrible sacrifice, whatever it may be. This is this guy must be acting in the worst kinds of faith, um, in the upper echelons of evil, the kind of evil that would get him killed and that would destroy entire cities. And as a result, he loses his life. God sees his heart, sees his obstinance, sees that he is not keen on continuing and furthering God's mission, and at this point has probably committed the unpardonable sin, is probably not willing to repent, and so he dies as a result. And Judah said to Onan, go in and marry your brother's wife, this is verse 8, and be with her, raise up an heir for your brother. But Onan knew that the heir would not be his, and it came to pass, when he went into his brother's wife, he omitted onto the ground, lest he should give an heir to his brother." And the thing which he did displeased the Lord, therefore he killed him also. And so we see again, Onan in his obstinance ends up dying at the hand of God. And basically, yeah, again, the situation is not very good. But then verse 11, then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow in your father's house till my son Shelah is grown. So now there's this last son, Shelah. He's not even a, a man yet. Yeah. Wait until the son is grown and then you will, yeah be with him. Now, it seems as though from the outset that Judah is doing Tamar solid here. He knows that in this ancient society, that widowhood is not a desirable fate. And so he's like, hey, I'll give you Shella. I'll give you Shella. Now, in the process of 
time, uh, the daughter of Shua and Judah's wife died and Judah was comforted and went up to sheep shearers at Timnah and he found his friend Hira, the the Adelamite. And it was told Tamar saying, look, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear sheep. So she took off her widow's garment, covered herself in a veil and wrapped herself and sat in an open place which was on the way to Timnah for she saw that Shelah was grown and she was not given to him as a wife so he made this promise Judah made this promise but didn't go through on it and now Tamar sets up to to get him now okay so we're already seeing a web of sin here a web of terribleness going on we see that Tamar sets up herself to to get Judah as a result of his unfaithfulness to the promise to Tamar. So we see a sin, and that is not being true to his word. That's done by Judah. We see a further sin, which is uh, deception and this terribleness from Tamar. Now, we can also sympathize with Tamar and her situation. We know that she isn't an Israelite. She isn't Yeah, she's just a random who's being brought in, but now is being treated very unfairly by this family and in this situation. And she's going to use the means that she knows to get things done in this time because this is she is an injustice has been committed against her, but she is going to further this this cycle of injustice by setting herself up as a prostitute. But ultimately, her goal is to try and to obtain, yeah, this birthright, this not the birthright for herself as she is a woman, but to be looked after by by Judah. It says, when Judah saw her, he thought she was a harlot because she had covered her face. Then he turned to her by the way and said, please let me come into you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. So she said, what will you give me that, that you may come into me? And he said, I will send a young goat from the flock. So she said, Will you give me a pledge till you send it in? Then he said, what pledge shall I give you? So she said, your signet and your staff that is in your hand. Then he gave them to her and went into her and she conceived by him. So next we see, we see the next sin here. And so, so Judah, okay, he's in this position. He's lost his wife. He's upset. He is grieving and reeling, but he turns to the exact thing that he shouldn't. He could set up a, a decent situation for himself, going to the sheep shearers and Timnah, maybe doing some work out there, getting his mind off it. But now he is taking the steps into, hey, I'm going to solve my pain and problems by just committing all out, yeah, adultery, sleeping with a person who I am not married to. In, in, in the prostitute setting as well, soliciting sex, paying for sex. This is a really, really awful situation. As, as I've said already. But yeah, Judah is setting himself up here, dude. Like it is a trap against him and he has put himself in an awful situation through his own desires. Judah is not a guiltless party here. He is not being duped. He's not being scammed in an innocent way. He is very much deserving um, of the scam that, scam that is being put before him. But then we see in verse 21, it says, Then he asked the men of that place, Where is the harlot who is openly by the roadside? So he comes back to collect his stuff after he brings the payment of the goat. And they said, There is no harlot in this place. So he returned to Judah and he said, I cannot find her. Also, the men of this place there was said there was no harlot. And then Judah said, Let her take them for herself, lest we be shamed, for I sent this young goat and you have not found her. So essentially, they're like, hey, she gets to keep it as payment. This is something that I also want to keep under wraps. So let's not go any further with this. We'll keep the goat. Yeah, let's just keep on living. Now, this is where it gets intense. This story is is really 
really heavy. It says, and it came to pass about uh, three months after that Judah was told saying, Tamar, your daughter-in-law has played the harlot. She's taken a step in prostitution. Furthermore, she is with a child from harlotry. So Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. Judah is just straight up. It's like, oh yeah, this woman, she is gone and and she is cheated on her potential future spouse, Shella, particularly by taking a step, not only into adultery, but off like actively prostituting herself out. And he's, yeah, let's burn this woman. Let's get rid of her. He is taking the justice of God into his own hands. He's like, let's, let's get this done. This woman is not good enough for my son. Yeah. Let's burn her. Um, especially now that she's with child, like he is taking drastic and unsanctified, ungodly measures here to deal with this situation. Then verse 25, it says, when she was brought out, she sent to her father-in-law saying, by the man to whom these belong, I am with child. And he said, please determine who these are, the signet and cord and staff. So Judah acknowledged them and said, she has been more righteous than me because I did not give to her Shella, my son. And he never knew her again. This didn't continue as an ongoing adulterous relationship, but rather Judah recognizes that he is actually the one in the wrong. He has been totally called out, called out here for paying for sex. And he actually recognizes that it was his fault in the beginning. He was like, I should have gave her to Shella, my son. She was living the existence of a widow, which is a terrible fate. And I did bad by her. And this is totally my fault. He actually takes stock of his actions, which is really fantastic. Now it came to pass at that time for giving birth that behold, twins were born in her womb. And so it was when she was giving birth that one that the one put out uh, his hand and the the midwife took a scarlet thread and bound to his hand saying, this one has come out first. Then it happened as he drew back his hand that his brother came out unexpectedly and she said, how did you break through? This breach be upon you. Therefore, his name was called Perez. Afterwards, his brother came out who had a scarlet thread on his hand and his name was Zerah. So basically, yeah, one of the, like, she's given birth to twins. One of them puts his hand out of the womb. She ties the scarlet cord. He pulls his hand back in, and then the other one jumps out, Perez. And so Perez and Zera and born. And it's amazing that through Perez and through Tamar, who's actually mentioned within the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew, that we see this is the line that the Messiah would come through. And again, an amazing story throughout this terrible story that takes place, which again, I want to tell you guys if if this story should be subheaded anything it's a warning against adultery and what it will cause in your life um it'll cause great you'll be called out you will be called out you will be thoroughly embarrassed like judah was but god actually worked with tamar god helped tamar bore kids through her so that she would be yeah basically she would have a future she would be looked after in not in her only in her own life but that through her sons the Messiah would come, which is an amazing story. But yeah, again, the dysfunctionality of this story goes on. We're not going to be able to cover Joseph as a slave in Egypt as we spend some time talking about Judah and Tamar and their story. So I pray that you guys can uh, find the time to work your way through the Sabbath school commentary and ultimately see how amazing it is, the God, the work that God do, does through this incredibly dysfunctional family. But yeah, you've been listening to the Sabbath school podcast or the Sabbath school commentary. And uh, yeah, Bless you guys as you teach in your local churches.